Hey church, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're going to be camping out in the entirety of Daniel chapter 4. And so if you have a Bible near, please grab it and turn there right now. Um, one of the things that I've realized over the last three years since being a dad is that there's a lot of things I didn't realize about myself. There's some identity things, there's some learning things that I've been going through over this time. And I know I have a long way to go, there's a lot of lessons to learn, and a lot of character building, believe me, still to happen. But unfortunately, there are a few things that are actually working against me. I've grown up in a culture that has fast tracks to pride, desire for control above anything else, and this hyper-individualism autonomy that has plagued my life and, and our culture. All these three things don't really help me in any way to become a good dad, and it, it really just doesn't help any of us to be a good person. But so many have gone before me chasing these kinds of results, and it's led to disaster, divorce, abandonment, neglect, workaholism, even just simple distraction when you're among other people. In contrast, God has different desires to be fathers and really people in general, to have humility in the place of pride, surrender in the place of control, and covenant relationship ahead of individualism or autonomy. Now the life and times of King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel we'll be focusing on today, and, and it really addresses some of these same aspects in life. As a review, in chapter one, we encountered a new batch of recruits, fresh off conquering and displacement from their land. And the defining moment of this chapter is the non-participation in the eating practices of the culture they've just arrived at. Chapter two presses into the life purpose of Daniel, which is most explicitly lived out in his interpreting of dreams and saying the hard things that people may or may not want to hear. Chapter 3 outlines another non-participatory event in the refusal to bow down to the golden statue. And here in chapter 4, we repeat again, Daniel pressing into his purpose, interpreting another dream and saying some hard things that nobody really wants to hear. So far, the actions of these people in a culture of disruption are this. There are lines that the people of God are unwilling to cross and they're ready to face the consequences. Also, the people of God are filled with vision and purpose for their lives, which is given by God, and they are ready to speak and act out this vision and purpose. And so with all that being said, I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. This is the declaration of King Nebuchadnezzar in his words. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Some beautiful words. We can tell right away that Nebuchadnezzar is the author of these following words because we can see the shift in the original languages because in the first few books or the first few chapters of this book, there's a language change from Hebrew to Aramaic, the cousin tongue of, that's spoken by the Babylonians. And much of this chapter is written from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. 
We realize next what he says is that all is well. This comes out of a declaration that he is prospering in his palace. Basically, he's not anxious. His life is in harmony. He's not at war currently. And in many senses, this is as good as it gets for the king. It seems he's in the clear and his guard is down. There's not a worry in his heart. And in the past, leading up to this, he's repented from the wrong that he's done at the furnace. And he's declared some good things about the most high God, Yahweh. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, he said some nice things about God. He's even done some nice things to the servants of God. But God knows his heart and has an alternative story that he's currently writing in the life of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. I'll also add that when God's people are around somebody, God tends to speak to them, specifically this king. It's just fitting that God is in the king's business because God has loyal people to him in and around the throne. Let's keep moving. Chapter four, verse five. I had a dream that made me afraid. After Nebuchadnezzar declares his prosperity, here comes the pressure to show if he really means the words he said previously. What is the result? He has a dream, he's afraid, and he runs to the usual suspects instead of the mighty, great, eternal God that he just finished praising. Being under pressure often shows our cards and where our loyalties lie. Now, we all have dreams, and some of us remember all of them. Some of us, if you're like me, remember just about zero of them. But you do know those ones where you wake up in the middle of the night, you're sweating a little bit, your breath is hard, and you actually thought it was really happening. This is one of those kinds of dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. Often, though, I just kind of shrug them off as a nightmare or my imagination. I don't really want to think about it. I just want to get right back to sleep or maybe blame it on some bad food that I ate the night before. But Nebuchadnezzar has a very different way of going about the dreams that he has. Maybe one that we should actually take a little bit of note of. One that my wife reminded me of a couple weeks ago when I woke up from a bad dream. Instead of just shrugging it off, she encouraged me to take a moment and wonder about its meaning. Not just to ask the internet or to ask somebody else, but to ask God himself if there was something that he was wishing to teach me or tell me in that dream. Always ask God if there is something to understand in your dreams. Now, that doesn't mean that everything has a significant message. I'm not saying that. But if your father was wishing to talk to you, And there was a possibility that it was his voice that was speaking to you. Why not ask him? So I encourage you through listening prayer, ask your father if there is meaning to some of the dreams that you may remember. Now, since this is dream number two in the book, we have a little bit of precedent to know that God does speak to Nebuchadnezzar through dreams. And there is a process that he goes through in order to gain discernment of exactly what it means. And remember, he is afraid, he is alarmed, and he makes a decree out to all of the wise men of Babylon to come and try to give an interpretation of the dream. And he means business. He wants this figured out ASAP because he has ASAP power and that motivator, that pressure that he is afraid. He's genuinely scared of what might happen. So he brings them all in, the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, the diviners, the entire host. Now realize this, Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's not stupid. 
He, d- he didn't get into this place of power by accident. He is, and he also isn't the kind of guy that wastes time. He's not gonna be the dude who calls in a bunch of halfwits. These are the best and the brightest and the most consistent interpreters in all the kingdom of Babylon. And what that means is they've gotten it right before. This wasn't their first rodeo. And even though they were not, definitely not calling on the name of Yahweh to give discernment, to interpret the dreams of the king, they were getting answers. Not just this time. One other thing to note is that there are other spiritual beings that people call upon that can give information, have power and can affect space and time in life. And people all over the world still do this today. This isn't some Old Testament practice time that that we don't really realize anymore. It happens around the world a little bit more subversively than others, depending where you are. Now, a few years ago, this reality was brought to my attention when I was invited to attend a meeting, presentation, storytelling of a leader, a faith leader out of West Africa, which is the birthplace of voodoo. Now, listening to this man's stories of his voodoo priest father, the daily interaction with demonic forces, and the fear that blanketed his home and town gave me insight to how spiritual forces present themselves in the world though they're not talking, talked about in the same way around here. Now, just, now, just because there, there's a foreign concept that's present here doesn't mean we dismiss it. It is unusual, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't actually happen. In this story, what is actually unusual is that Nebuchadnezzar called these other people and they turned out to be incapable. He expected them to have an answer. No, where, what is unusual is that God chooses to give exclusive insight to Daniel alone. The big things seem to be reserved for just him and nobody else to know. And we know all of this because the, ba- the wise men of Babylon could not give an interpretation of the dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar continues to narrate and, and go on in verse 8. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Now Daniel finally makes his appearance, being called by the name that he had been given by King Nebuchadnezzar, the one after one of his gods. Though also it says that the the spirit of the holy gods, that's plural, is in him. Being a polytheist, Nebuchadnezzar submits to many gods and his authority conveniently places Yahweh among those gods in the mix. He tells him the dream as the chief of the magicians, saying that no mystery is too difficult for Daniel to interpret. I think this is helpful to read out the dream, so as I do, please read along. Starting in verse 10. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived among its branches, and from it, every creature was fed. Now at this point, the dream seems to be going pretty well, but let's keep reading. In the visions while I was lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, 
a messenger coming down from heaven. He called out in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and the roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. So this tree, it's broken down, it's scattered, but a portion is preserved, the stump in the ground. This is God bringing Nebuchadnezzar to the end of himself but that it, this isn't his final end. Remember, stumps aren't dead. As long as there are roots in place, there can be new life to come. Continuing on. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass before him. This decision is announced by my messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone that he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now, now, that's a lot of stuff. And as Daniel receives this information, as, as Nebuchadnezzar recounts this dream to him, Daniel, too, is troubled. He, there, there's some empathy in his heart, and he realizes that the king knows that this isn't really that great, and Daniel immediately knows the same thing. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. He, it, he encourages him. He wants to know the answer. But Daniel answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. I hope this, I wish this applied to somebody else, but it doesn't. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top, touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves, abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter. Your majesty, you, you are the tree. You have become great. You've become strong. Your greatness has grown until it touches the sky and your dominion extends to even the distant parts of the earth. So we know here by what Daniel says that Nebuchadnezzar is represented by this tree. His stature has grown as high and as wide as a human can grow. Touching the sky gives the imagery that he is only just a little bit lower and has a little bit less influence than even the heavenly beings. But a little bit lower is still a chasm lower than the most high God, Yahweh. And then Daniel delivers the tough part. I can see just like a frog in his throat as he stutters to get this out. Your majesty, you saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched of the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times passes before him. Now, the one thing that's nice is that we don't just hear the recounting of the dream. Daniel actually has an interpretation for us. We don't need to read into it. Daniel gives us exactly what it means. This is the interpretation. Your majesty, in this decree... This is the decree of the Most High. This is God's words for you. 
He has issued this against the Lord, my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You're going to eat grass like an ox. You're going to be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge until you acknowledge that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms, including yours on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. This is what Nebuchadnezzar needs to understand. The command to leave the stump of the tree, and this is the silver lining here for him, with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Now, the Most High God, he, he has decreed this. This is Yahweh's words over King Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to be driven out into the field. He's going to eat like the animals. He's going to be exposed by the elements. And a perfect, complete, full portion of seven times will pass so that he will recognize that the Most High God is the one who rules the kingdoms of heaven and the kingdoms of the earth. He gives and he takes away what he wishes. The stump is left as a confirmation. You see, we, like Nebuchadnezzar, are brought into low places so that God is the one who is in control, that we realize that reality. Now, the sad part is, is we often don't realize that that's going on. I mean, people who don't know God are, are lost and, and can't give explanation to what's happening like Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Fortunately, Nebuchadnezzar had a friend who knew Yahweh, who could give insight into the things that were happening. But even as believers, we don't often get the point because we see, we look for rational causes and we can follow tracks of events where we can explain things out of God's control. So Daniel, he doesn't leave Nebuchadnezzar here. He doesn't just give him, this is going to happen. Daniel takes one more step. And I, and I like to call this, this is Daniel's pastoral influence on King Nebuchadnezzar. He gives him a way to respond and some insight. So he says this, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So he gives these words, and I'll comment on them a little bit later. But after 12 months, in a moment of pride, very similar to some of the words that he had said at the beginning of the chapter, God brings this dream into a reality. The pride of Nebuchadnezzar triggers the events of this dream to be to be fulfilled. He says this, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? These words have power and that power unfortunately worked against him. It says this, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came down from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you and you're going to be driven out you're going to act like an animal you're going to think like an animal until seven times pass and you acknowledge that Yahweh is the most high God he is in control over everything in heaven and on earth and immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled now at the end of that time 
At the end of those seven portions of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes before the heavens. I raised my eyes toward heaven. This is, a, this is a posture of repentance, of submission, and it is spoken out in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes unto the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And his sanity was restored, and he praised the Most High. He honored and glorified him who lives forever, saying this, his dominion is an eternal dominion. Before he was talking about his own dominion, now he is talking about Yahweh's dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Before he talked about his own kingdom and now he recognizes God's kingdom. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does what he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples on earth. Before Nebuchadnezzar did whatever he pleased and now he recognizes that God himself does whatever he pleases. He is higher than him. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Man, it would be great to hear some of our leaders say and speak these beautiful things about our God in our day today. So at that time, moving into verse 36, his sanity is restored. His honor and his splendor were returned to him. The stump that was remaining had life. All of his people came back they dined with him. His throne was restored even greater than before. And he says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Remember the advice Daniel gave. Do righteousness and heal the oppressed. Righteousness, right, just, justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And that's basically it. That's the rest, that's the entire chapter. And it finishes with this exhortation that God humbles the proud. So watch your pride. Don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Now, these, these words really speak for themselves. And I'm tempted to leave you here to inquire of God and to see what he has to say to you, the direction that he has to give to you. But there's one thing that we have to place at the front of our minds before we go today. And I want to remind you of the direction that Daniel gives the king. So there's four things that Nebuchadnezzar, or Daniel says for Nebuchadnezzar to do. And these things are not just for him, but they're also for us. These things speak almost identically to the ways and the words of Jesus himself centuries later. The first one is this, break off your sins. The easy way of saying this is to simply repent, to repent of our pride and our desire to be in complete control of our autonomy and our desire to be separate from God, to repent of those things. To practice righteousness, to live under God's law and direction in humility and surrender and your non-participation, my non-participation is in pride and control. We say no to those things. The third thing he says is break off your wickedness. This is another exhortation, encouragement to repent again. The thoughts that we have, the actions we commit against others to present those before God and ask for forgiveness. And the fourth thing, to show mercy 
to the oppressed, to, to do justice. This is one of the huge things of Jesus' way of living life, to live in covenant relationship, looking outside of ourselves, looking outward to the world around us, not just outside of our family, but within our family. And our non-participation is in our individualism, where we just look into ourselves and the ego that we manufacture for ourselves. And the reality is this, with this repentance and this turn towards the ways, the law, the direction of God, that when we repent of the way that we've been going, it actually changes the course of life. This isn't some uh, mental thought or a checklist or whatever that's just on a board somewhere. This physically, spiritually, mentally impacts our lives. It may not terminate the inevitable, but it may delay it. Repentance affects real time and space, and it closes the doors that sin has opened. You see, when we, when we practice ways alternative to God's ways, it opens doors into our lives for more destructive behavior, thoughts, actions to come into us. And this is the main point. This has been the main point for a long time. It's, the, it's been the main point in the time of Daniel and the time of Jesus and in the time of 2021 and the life we're living today. No matter if we are a pagan king or a family of five in Langley, if you've never repented or if you have believed in Jesus for all of your life, the same separation for God exists. Now, if you follow Jesus and, and have repented and believed the gospel, sin still separates us from the Father. This isn't a perpetual forgiveness, but rather a life of repentance, a life of, of turning from our unbelief towards belief, a constant, bring, a constant bringing ourselves back under the banner of the Lord. Here, it's expressed as right living, practicing mercy, living under God's direction, when we repent of our sins and run from the wickedness to live under the laws of the Father as Jesus does, it fundamentally changes the physical and spiritual realities of our lives. There is then less and less and less that the enemy has a hold on us for. There are less cards he can use against us, and the more and more and more we are prepared and ready to do the will of the Father whom we love. All over the New Testament, it has this exact encouragement. In Acts 3.19, repent then, turn to God so your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come for the Lord. Repentance and belief bring times of refreshing. Revelation 2.5, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Repentance, forgiveness, and belief does battle in the areas that we cannot see. Therefore, let us put on the full armor of God. You see, God is up to things and he's looking for partners, friends, co-laborers. He is sovereign and therefore we need to get in on what he's up to. Daniel is in the thick of it and so can we. At the end of the day, Nebuchadnezzar, all he needed to do was trust God. And, and Daniel, he couldn't do that for him. 
He gave him some thoughts. He gave him some really good advice, kind of like what I'm doing today. We're opening up God's word. I'm giving you some some great things to think about. Uh, God's word is being opened and spoken. But it was Nebuchadnezzar that had to decide and to ultimately change the way he lived his life. And at the end of the day, my life, at the end of my life, there's going to be two chairs, one for me, one for God. And I'm going to be held responsible for my own life and everything in it. There's going to be no pastors, no parents, no mentors, just me and God, the two of us. So I need to repent of my sin today, believe in the name of Jesus today, and do what he did every single day of my life. And in doing so, bring the flourishing and life to my family and the world around me. And I invite you to do the same. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for the time we got to spend together today for your word, for the life of Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar to be put on display for us. That you've preserved this story to impact our lives today. We believe you are living and active and you desire for us to return to you in every moment of every day. God, I repent of the things that I've done to separate myself from you, to cause division in my relationships with people and with your creation. Please show me the areas where I can change and be transformed by your Holy Spirit so that I may live the life and the direction you've called me to live. If there are things, God, that I'm participating in that I need to say no to, show those things to me today. Give me the courage to step away from them. God, you are mighty and in control of all things. You give and you take away, both in my life, in the the lives of our nation and in our world. You are number one. Help us to have that at the forefront of our minds each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Um, I encourage you to press in to the one true God, to repent and believe, to take on the whole armor of God as you go out into your life today and the days ahead, to rely on his strength instead of your own. I encourage you to check, check the questions on the screen right after this just for some further discussion. As you speak these things out, as you process them, they become cemented more and more into your heart. So please check those out in grace and peace to you.